Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full-time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jessie Tuggy, and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 105 of This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Tyler Bates, a friend of ours from Diabetes Camp growing up, and we're talking to him about what it was like managing diabetes when you have divorced parents. And this is a topic that Jesse also has a lot of experience in, so she weighed in quite a bit as well. First up, we've got our win, fail, and hack of the week, and Jesse has the win. All right. So this week, actually two days from now, Monday, I am going to go to my first adult endocrinologist appointment all by myself, which I'm both nervous and excited for because the last time I went, my dad was with me and we were meeting the nurse practitioner. And there's a couple of questions or a couple of answers that I didn't, or a couple of questions that she asked that I didn't have the answers for right then. But now, I have the book of secrets, which is all of my diabetic history, serial numbers, and everything. So I'll be getting that ready to go. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so ready for it. And I'll be going all by myself. So I'm kind of nervous, but I, I feel prepared. And my plan is to make a day out of it and go hang out in Tacoma for a day. You're going to have so much fun. It's like your first by yourself appointment. So much freedom. It's great. So my fail, uh, I went to basically a weeknight church event. It was a Monday night event from like, there's like a five o'clock cookout grill kind of thing. And then we had a like a workshop or a like a seminar afterwards and it went until like nine o'clock PM. So I was up way past my bedtime. And um, my like my basal profile for dinner, like because I have a different profile for eating dinner that really helped with keeping my numbers stable. But because I, I still wake up at the same time every day, even if I go to bed later, and that probably may not have been a great idea, I was really tired and a lot more easily irritable. And that just wasn't great overall, not just for my diabetes. It was just not fun. And so I ended up going to bed way earlier and like not doing something that I had planned on doing because I kind of felt bad and my number kept going up. So... Pro tip for me, don't schedule two late nights in a row and also try to go to bed on time. All right, Jesse, what is our hack this week? All right, so my hack this week is to enjoy the day when you have an endocrinologist appointment. Just because you have an endo appointment does not mean that your day is ruined or you can't plan things around it or you can't go do something fun right after. My endocrinologist appointment is at 8 a.m. on Monday. So kind of early for me, but that also means that I get to have the rest of the day to go hang out in Tacoma all by myself, which sounds scary and fun all at the same time. I'm really thinking about going to the art museum and just making a day of it and then going and getting a deli sandwich from the grocery store and then going to go to Ruston and go on a nice walk all by myself. And I'm going to really plan to make a fun day for myself and just 
really put a spring in my step, even though endocrinologist appointments are really stressful and they're not always the greatest time. I'm going to make the day great. Are you going to the, the glass museum or just the art museum in Tacoma? You can get tickets for both. So they're connected by that bridge, this glass. I love the glass museum. I, so my cool. friend and I are planning on going to the Tacoma art museum two and a half weeks from now on like two weeks on Tuesday, I guess it is. So I'm thinking about just going to like either the glass museum or the museum of natural history or native history. I think it is right across the street or so. I don't know. I haven't really picked it out yet, but I'm not, I'm going to save the art museum for my best friend and I. So yeah, I'm really excited. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Here is Tyler. Hi, Tyler. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? It's good to have you on. Good to finally be on. I've heard so much. (laughs) We've probably told you a lot about it. So tell our listeners who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life. Hi, my name is Tyler Bates. I'm a welder and diabetes is something that goes on in my life that I live with. That's just kind of become something, something that just, it's like drinking coffee in the morning. Just part of your life. Yep. Just another day. What's your diagnosis story? Like, did you, like, I guess if you were pretty young, you probably wouldn't have known, but did your parents know anything about diabetes before? Oh, no. So this is like the funniest story out there. So I was diagnosed when I was seven. And the context behind the story is, is my mom and my grandma had bought a RV. It was like a Ford F450 with like a camper on the back of it. And we decided that that summer in August, we were going to drive out to Minnesota and we're going to take all the highways and stuff out there from Washington to Minnesota. And so I don't have any family history of diabetes. I'm kind of like a one-off in that sort of aspect. But, um, I, you know, me, it was me and my sister who was older than me, my grandma, my mother, and it was going to be like a month long vacation. We've been planning it for the entire year at this point. And so we got in the got in the RV and we started heading out. Well, being a seven-year-old and always getting in trouble, you know, I was drinking a lot of water at the time, and I keep I had to keep going to the bathroom. And my mom at some point got sick of me because she thought I was just getting restless and running around the RV. Got mad at me and she said, "Tyler, you need to stop going to the bathroom." And I said, "Mom, I I just gotta go." And we were in Idaho at this point. And then we tried to, as we like crossed into the border of Montana, like it became really frequent. Like every 15 minutes I had to go to the bathroom, which is, you know, high blood sugar. But that was just something that we didn't know because we didn't have any experience with it. And so I made it through Montana. My mom was kind of like upset with me, but, you know, maybe thinking there was something else that was going on, but we didn't know. And so... We made it to Minnesota, and as we got into Minnesota, the night that we got there, we checked me into an urgent care, and they said, well, you guys need to go to Children's Hospital in the morning because we don't have the basically the equipment to test you properly here. And so and this was back in 2000, in the early 2000s. And so that night, I went back to my uncle's house, and he goes, Hey, Tyler. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I hear you're a growing boy. And I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, 
how many s'mores do you think you can eat? And I said, oh, I can eat more than anyone, you know, being a seven-year-old kid. And he goes, oh, I bet I can prove you wrong. And so me and my uncle sat there and we ate s'mores all night. And like, I think I had 26 halves of s'mores that night. And I didn't sleep at all because I was up just consistently going to the bathroom. And my mom's like, you know, my mom's kind of like disappointed in my uncle for encouraging me to do something like that the night before I'm supposed to go to the hospital. Because A, I'm going to be loaded up on sugar and I'm going to, you know, just be, have a sugar high the entire day. And then B, they're supposed to do blood work the next day. And I wasn't supposed to be eating. So it was just like this perfect storm. And so the next morning we go to the children's hospital in, uh, in Minneapolis and the doctor came back and they said, Hey, so what did you eat last night? And my uncle is sitting there with me and my mom is also there. And my uncle leans over and goes, don't tell him about the s'mores. You can't tell him about the s'mores. And me being a kid, I was, I thought it would impress everyone. I said, I had 26 s'mores. And the, I remember because the nurse looked at my sheep, put the paper up and she goes, well, that explains why your blood sugar is over 600. And I was just like, Oh, what, you know, my mom is just like red in the face. And she goes, what does that mean? You know, then we had the whole conversation of, well, he's probably a type one diabetic and these are the signs and, you know, and it turns out I had kind of been showing signs for about a week and just we didn't realize it. For our listeners, I have heard this story before. And every time I hear it, it's just it is like my favorite diagnosis story just because of how incredible it is. Yeah, I mean, it it's it's really funny to me because it's just like the perfect storm of just like everything you're not supposed to do, you know, especially like if you're going into a hospital, get blood work, you don't want to eat a lot of sugar and really anything the night before and it just it was like the perfect storm my mom was embarrassed my uncle and i were like high-fiving in the background because we didn't really understand the consequences of that and you know just like having to go to the bathroom every 15 minutes so it's, i was just like oh cool this will get me out of you know tests and stuff at school and and i think so let's see in august 10th of this year i'll have diabetes for 19 years solid so. Yeah. So I guess I would have put that back in 2003. With your experience with type 1 diabetes, what are some favorite things that you have with diabetes and least favorite things you have with diabetes? You know, one of <laughs> it's kind of the wrong answer to give, but one of my favorite things with diabetes is, you know, I, I build boats for a living. And a lot of times, you know, there are just some days where a site will fall off and instead of going back to an infusion set, I'll just give myself needles for the rest of the day. And so a lot of times a joke between some of me and the up, higher ups is, is a lot of people at my work actually don't know I have diabetes. And so a lot of times I actually run into a corner and act inappropriately and I'll try to hide that I'm giving myself insulin. And then it's happened to the point where I've been sent, I think three three times off-site to go take a uh, drug test. And that's kind of like one of my favorite things. It's kind of playing into it or, you know, like company parties and stuff. We got like a huge cake for me and one of the other guys' birthdays. And I took a huge slice of this cake. And as I'm like halfway through eating it, I was like, oh, I didn't bring insulin today. 
and I watched one of my supervisors, just his face goes flush and goes, you need to go home now. You can't, you, you need insulin, man, go home. And I'm just like, <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, no, I have some in this story, you know. So I guess just kind of playing into the diabetes a little bit, you know, make it a joke, make it funny. It's always funny to see people's reactions kind of light up in different situations. Probably not the best thing to do, but it's the way I find humor in it. And finding humor in something like diabetes is really important. What about least favorite? You know, I would probably say the least favorite is something of uh, having something really inconvenient happen. So like ripping a site off when, you know, you're out, out of town or out of, you know, your comfort zone, basically. So once again, it's like if I'm in a boat somewhere welding in a certain spot and I have an infusion, infusion set rip out or fall off, it's it's more of like, I got to stop what I'm doing. I got to go turn off my machines and I weld in full leathers and stuff. So it's now I have to take off my leathers, you know, and go put in another site and then hope it doesn't fall out again is a lot of the main like grievances I have with diabetes and, you know, and just kind of having to inform people consistently about what diabetes is, is, you know, even though it's a leading issue in, you know, our country, the U S and stuff, it's, something that's really unknown to a lot of people. You know, people have a lot of genuine either misinformation or just never learned about diabetes growing up, either because it hasn't affected them directly or a loved one or something like that. And so a lot of times it's when I meet new people who find out I'm a diabetic, it's usually about a 15 to 20 minute conversation. Like, hey, this is actually the way that diabetes works. This is something that I can't fix it by getting taking a shot or changing my diet or anything. It's a permanent problem in my life that I'll have to kind of work with. Yeah. I mean, you could just turn those people onto the podcast and save yourself those 20 minutes. You know, I really could. So you've mentioned infusion sites a couple times. What insulin pump do you use and do you use a CGM? So currently I'm still on my old Medtronic insulin pump until I use up the rest of my supplies. And then I'm going back to my T-Slim. And the reason for that is because I had a um, one of those Autosoft 90s that I had a couple issues with, especially just always being either in a tight spot or I don't use a lot of different sites for my infusion sets. I usually use my stomach and sometimes my lower back. And with those auto site or those Autosofts, they just bend the tips and stuff. And so until I got all my insurance information figured out, and then I also had to go see a new doctor, a new endocrinologist, which was kind of a trial and error, you know, thing. I finally found an infusion set that will work with me with the T-Slim. And so now I'm going to be transitioning back into the T-Slim. And I did use a CGM for a while. And then I believe, I think I told you the story, is I actually melted one and because I was leaning up against some hot metal and that was the day I wasn't wearing leathers or anything. And I had basically melted the part of my CGM on the side of my body and just completely destroyed it. And I was like, wow, that was, that was not smart. You know, that could have really hurt. And so after that, I kind of stopped using the CGM and went back to testing regularly. That also being said though, I actually do have a coworker who is a diabetic type one diabetic and he uses a CGM 
fairly regularly and really loves it. So I guess it kind of falls into, I'm just not as comfortable with it yet, but I'm going to try to be transitioning back to using a CTM. So if any, what diet have you found really works best with blood sugar maintenance and controlling your blood sugars? So usually the best diet I've kind of figured out is just planning out, you know, just a well-balanced meal. You should, whenever I have an issue where I don't like eating breakfast for whatever reason, I just drink decaf coffee and I'll call that good for the day. And then around like 9.30 is when I'll actually have food. You know, just an all-around well-balanced meals, you know, maybe have something a little bit more substantial than coffee in the morning and then move on to something that actually is maybe a salad or some meat for lunch and then having a nice big dinner. And that way you're not snacking as constantly because usually whenever I notice that like my A1C jumps up or anything like that, it's usually when I'm in a, a, a series of just like, I'm not going to take the time to eat, so I'm just going to keep snacking all the way through the day and that's just an easier way to lose track of your carbs and all that fun stuff if you're on the go and all that fun jazz like you're gonna not really think about the carbs that you're eating instead like oh i had like 15 ritz crackers that was probably like 16 grams plug it in and instead of taking the time to actually plan out your meal that's a a good point i used to not track how many smarty rolls i had to prevent or to fix low blood sugars and then i was like i should probably count these and so i started saving the wrappers after i eat them and like putting them in a little container to count the next day and that really helps me figure out like am i doing good on on my lows or not yeah you know and it's there are a lot of times especially when you get low it's like you panic in the moment because you're like i can't stop what i'm doing so i'm going to overcorrect for my low and then it just reads, leads to a high later on, you know, in an hour or two. And you're just like, how did this happen? You know, how did I go from 60 to 230? Like, what the heck? And you're just like, oh, it's because I had five apple juices and I didn't give myself insulin for any part of that. And then you like, you know, you have the high blood sugar and then you have to correct down to the, your, your correct level again. And it's just. Hello, roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. And then you just feel like garbage for the rest of the day. Speaking of feeling like garbage, what does burnout mean to you? I think burnout has a different meaning to everyone. For me, it's just, it comes in the form of like laziness. You know, like I said, in, on August 10th, I'll have this condition for 19 years. And growing up, I was really on top of my diabetes all the way through high school and even a little bit into college. And in college is when I actually really started feeling burnout and all that fun stuff. And burnout is like, I wake up in the morning, I look at my, my testing meter and I go, I'm probably in range and just go through my day without testing or, you know, just being upset that I have something, which I mean, it's understandable to be upset about having diabetes because it is a condition that isn't always the easiest thing to deal with in the world. But, you know, we're lucky enough that in this day and age, we have the technology like CGMs, insulin pumps, and just a bunch of helpful support. You know, even like this podcast is a good support. You know, I've tuned in before and kind of been like, all right, you know, maybe I'm not the, you know, I'm not the only person out there. And so that is something that me and my coworker actually talk with, talk about a lot is diabetes burnout. 
And, you know, because before I had never met someone in my industry that had diabetes, I was kind of like the black sheep. And he was the exact same way as he's never actually really met. He's re- recently diagnosed of the last like four or five years. And he's never met another diabetic, either A, in the workplace or B, that he's actually gotten to be friends with. And so, like, we go back and forth kind of discussing, like, hey, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes. And, you know, he has a whole different definition of burnout than I do, where I just get lazy. He just, like, you know, he gets kind of depressed about it. You know, it's like, well, this I guess this is my life now. And he gets sad. And fortunately enough, like I said, there's a lot of support out there now. And he has his wife. And I actually turned him on to this podcast a while ago. I don't know if he's checked it out or not, but, you know. That's something that we kind of talk about regularly is like how to kind of cope with that. What have you found works for you to get out of burnout? (laughs) You know, I think the wrong answer, not necessarily the correct answer, is um, going back and being regularly scheduled with an endocrinologist. Because for a while there, I didn't have the correct insurance to go see one every three months. And having an endocrinologist kind of get on your case about it. Not in a like a mean way or a parenting way, but just like, hey, you know, you need to take better care of yourself. You know, this is what I would do. And, you know, just kind of having someone get on you about it. My fiance, Katie, is also really good about that kind of thing is, you know, she takes care of me. And, you know, if I start doing something stupid, she's usually there to kind of be like, hey, you know, get your stuff together. Come on. I got to keep you around for a while. So. What is the most significant change that you've seen with diabetes since you were diagnosed? Like diets, technology, like what's the biggest change that you've seen? So I would say technology. I've been fortunate enough that I've been on an insulin pump long enough that I had a Cosmo insulin pump, which Jesse, you're making the face of like, like what the heck is that? It was one of the very, (laughs) it's, it's one of like the oldest pumps that ever came out. And uh, I was on that for like four years before I switched to the Medtronic. And like that pump was so basic compared to even the Medtronic and stuff. And then, you know, from the Medtronic to the T-Slim is just mind boggling to me. You know, I don't, I don't really use a lot of technology in my life. I drive old cars and my pump technology is usually about the same as it's older but you know like having a cgm that connects with your pump and then having the cgm in your pump connect with your computer and you can live share the data between some, your phone and your cgm and your pump and then you can send it to your doctor your fiance partner doctor can see that you know all that information is incredible to me you know i could be out in the middle of nowhere and katie could my fiance could pull up her phone and go, Hey, he's running kind of low. I should text him and make sure that he's taking care of it. That technology is just insane to me. Even like the diets and stuff have changed a little bit, but not nearly as much as the technology has. Yeah. I just think about my mom having to wake me up in the middle of the night to test my blood sugar. And now all the parents have to do is just look at their phones to see what the numbers are. It's amazing. Yeah. That was something that when I was growing up too, both my parents had to come in at like 12 a.m. and 3 a.m. and wake me up, take my blood. And I didn't even think about that, to be honest, is just checking your phone now. But that's the amazing part about the new technology out there is you don't have to wake your kid up now, you know, at 3 a.m. or 12 a.m. 
and have to get them to go back to bed because usually like when you're when you're a kid you know when you wake up you're up and you're ready to go and that was a lot of what the issue was with both my parents is once they woke me up they just could not get me back to bed and not even parents checking their phones they don't even have to check their phones now unless it alarms yeah which is the best part because if you have a kid with a flat blood sugar going through the night and there's no alarm then you get a full night's sleep yeah exactly that's like the dream of parenthood is getting full nights bed (laughs) knowing what you know now what do you think what do you wish you had done differently during the first few years of diagnosis you know i guess this kind of goes into today's topic of having divorced parents is i wish both my parents would have had the same exact training and gone to the same exact courses because that's just that was a lot of the issue of me growing up with divorced parents is each parent would hear, you know, parent A would hear something from over here. Parent B would hear something from over here. And then the information wouldn't connect, whether it would be different or one parent disagrees with the other on how something should have been done. If they had both had the same courses and all that fun stuff, it would have made my management so much easier growing up. My A1C would have been way more under control. For our listeners, Jesse has been nodding her head vigorously, agreeing with everything Tyler has said. Because <laughs> Jesse also has divorced parents. Yeah, so they totally got like different information at different times, and then they would try and tell me about it, and then that's kind of why I took over my diabetes so young and like was so independent about it when I was younger, was because like I needed to know the information more than they needed to at that point because it was like. Okay, my dad would know one thing, my mom would know another, and then my blood sugars would be going crazy back and forth between their houses. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, cool. I need to figure this out for myself. So that's kind of what happened with me more so was like, that's why I took it over so young, so much younger than most kids do was because like, they, they knew what they were talking about, and they knew what they were doing. But like, on two different levels. And I, I just kind of like merged the two and just took it over. Anyways, so do you have any like favorite or cherished memories you have about life with type 1 diabetes? You know, I don't think that the s'mores story could get any better. Like that story, like me and my uncle still laugh about that story today. You know, to this day, you know, I think the last time I saw him, we high fived each other about the story because I had, I had beaten him in that s'mores competition. I want to lay that down. He ate like five s'mores less than me. And so like we still joke about that today. But, you know, as as for like favorite stories and stuff, that's probably one of them. That's I don't think I could ever top that story. I think it's like the best story. And also just because other diabetics who hear the story are just like, oh, my gosh, you did what on the what? And it's <laughs> it just makes everyone laugh. So you've already mentioned one big challenge with parents being divorced with your management what are some of the other really big challenges with that situation so once again now that we have today's technology this isn't an issue that would progress or that would be an issue today but back then it was actually writing down all my numbers before the hospitals could actually take the meters and download them you know that was back in the day of like the original one touch meters and all that fun stuff so you had to write you had to log everything down and I don't remember what the distinct difference was, but 
my parents had a di- very different way of logging my numbers and my carbs and stuff. And those old style like checkbooks, if you remember those. I remember those. And so a lot of times I did a basically a week on week off with each parent. Or, you know, I would spend five days with my mom and then I would spend three days with my dad. And, you know, just kind of swap back and forth like that. And a lot of times, like I said, that logging issue was huge because then my endocrinologist at the time would look at it and she goes, I don't understand any of what is going on here. And so trying to get both the parents on a single logging plan, it's just like someone who does math a different way is, yeah, it does, the math does work and it does check out, but to different people, it makes different sense. And that was a huge part of like the communication of not having both the parents in the room at the time of the appointment was just, it was a huge fault. And that was a big issue. The other issue was like what the parents thought that was an okay blood sugar. My mom and dad were both, they both wanted the best for me, but at the same time they had different information. So what they did with that information was completely up to where they got it from. So, you know, my dad didn't see 200, my blood sugar being around 200 as that big of a deal. My mom freaked out about it. Like she was not okay with that sort of thing where my dad's like, Oh yeah, we'll give you a unit and we'll see where you are. You are in about an hour or so kind of, kind of a thing. And my mom was just like, no, we need to, you know, let's, let's monitor the situation. We're going to watch this go down. You know, let's test every 15 minutes so we can watch the downslope and all that fun stuff. And even when it came to like diets and stuff, my parents were very different about how they cooked meals. My dad was very like, all right, it has a specific carb count and I don't remember why he did this, but he always like added extra insulin to pay based on the sugars. So he would just like kind of add extra insulin doses. And then we would be wondering why my numbers wouldn't be consistent through each meal. It's because he would do the math in his head and it would just correlate different each time, I guess. And he put a lot more meat based foods in my diet. Whereas my mom kept it more of like the traditional like food pyramid and like, we need X amount of this. We need this, this, and this. And that kind of changed as I got into high school and stuff and started making my own meals. But at the beginning, that was kind of a difficulty tweak too, is just not having a consistent diet. How do you think these like challenges with your parents in the divorce situation, how did that affect your mental health in regards to diabetes? It was extremely frustrating, to say the least, is because... Like I said, one parent would get one information and the other would get the other. And like, I wasn't as independent as Jesse was where she just took over her own diabetes plan is kind of, I was, I was lazy about it. And I just kind of assumed that my parents would just kind of figure it out. And so, yeah, it was just, I forgot the question. How did the challenges with your divorced parents affect your mental health? Oh yeah, there we go. All right. Sorry. And so I just forgot where I was going with that sentence. So yeah, having it basically like kind of being relied on me to kind of be that center point was extremely stressful, especially like growing up at such a young age where, you know, you're nine or 10 and it feels like, you know, miles more about your diabetes than your own parents do. And it's just, 
it wears you out over time and that what that's what will lead into burnout and stuff. And I was fortunate enough to where I had a strong support base, not just from my parents, but from the uh, Panther Day Camp and stuff. And that kind of helped normalize a lot of it. And it kind of made me understand that, all right, maybe the parents don't know as much as me, but you can kind of bridge what they know together. Definitely one thing with having divorced parents and diabetes is like you realize your parents are people a lot sooner than like other kids do. And that's just not like as common as you think it is. I mean, even if you don't have diabetes or you don't have like divorced parents, but like having the two together, that just really like hammers it in. It's like, oh, your parents are people. Yeah. You know, and people make mistakes is the main thing. And it's a different kind of learning curve because the mistake is a toll that will happen on your body is, you know, you miscount carbs or, you know, you forget a bolus or you forget to check your kid's blood sugar at early in the morning. And that can result in, you know, waking up with a high blood sugar, waking up with a low blood sugar, you know, hey, why, you know, and not feeling good is usually like when I get low blood sugars, it's it's a very unpleasant experience along with like really high blood sugars. It's just unpleasant. So then like a lot of times I'd be going to school and just not being in a good mood because I just didn't feel good. And a lot of people didn't understand why I didn't feel good. But, you know, and that it was no one's fault. It was just a mistake. And that I 100% agree with you, Jesse, is it makes you realize that your parents are, are people and people make mistakes. Oh, yeah, definitely. So how did insurance work for your supplies while growing up with, like, divorced parents and stuff like that? <laughs> so I actually... I called my mom about this and I asked her and her very first response was, Oh God, it was a nightmare. And so the reason was, is my parents divorce was particularly a really messy divorce just in the grand scheme of things. And so there's a lot of court paperwork that went into it. And when I got diagnosed, it actually spawned two or three hearings just around the diabetes. And that's that's how bad this divorce was. And so, oh, yeah. So the insurance basically would swap every year. So thankfully, both the parents worked for Boeing at the time. And so it was fairly straightforward. One parent would look through the plan. And this is something they actually had in court documents was parent A will have the have the child on their health care for X year and X year. And then the next will have it for X year and X year. And 98% of the time is it was, it was doable. The issue would be is my mom takes me to the hospital for a, and uh, just a checkup and her insurance. She, I'm not under her insurance. It's I'm under my dad's insurance. And they'd be like, well, why is, why is your kid not on your insurance? And then it would be, they would have to call my dad to confirm and then, you know, it would just go back and forth and like getting supplies sometimes was a pain because the pharmacy would just have to constantly re, re check my insurance. And I think there was one time where like they charged the wrong insurance. And so they charged my mom's insurance when they should have been charging my dad's insurance. And that became like a three month just problem. Because now they're like, well, he's not on this plan, but he's on the same exact plan with this parent. So why is it not working? And I remember one year, one of my parents, I forget which one, 
had chosen a different insurance plan than what they had been doing. And the insurance plan they chose was completely wrong and it was not good for diabetes. So the cost of my supplies went up almost like 200%. And that was something that was just like all heck broke loose because it was like they went back to court to go try to fight it. You know, they one parent took the other parent back to court and being like, this is stupid. Why did you do this? And the other parents like it was an honest mistake. And the judge is like, well, this is we need to figure this out. And so once again, that turned into like a month's de- debacle where they had to switch back insurance. You know, they had to go contact their insurance, say, hey, I picked the wrong insurance plan. I'm sorry. This is what the situation is. And it was just messy. You know, if I had just been on one parent's insurance, it would have been so much easier. Like, I think insurance is a nightmare anyway, but adding like switching oh, every year on top of it. Uh. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like. Even like as of recently, you know, I, I switched jobs and all that fun stuff and trying to find the right insurance through that job was just like a nightmare, especially because there's that period in time where I worked like I went from full-time job to full-time job. And so, but I still overlapped on both those jobs. And at one point I had double insurance and I, once again, it, the billing got messed up somewhere. And it just turned into a nightmare where you're just calling insurance and being like, hey, this is the situation. Can we just please figure it out? And they'll be like, oh, we're going to redirect you. And you're like, no, please don't redirect me. Just solve the issue, please. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, insurance. Insurance was not a fun subject growing up, for sure. So growing up, did you have anybody else to go to to talk to about diabetes, like an endocrinologist, a nurse, somebody from camp? So I actually, camp was a big one. And a lot of my friends that I went to camp with, we also became counselors together. So there was a long support base there. Camp, not so much anymore, just because, you know, a lot of those guys I went to camp with have either dropped off or just fell out of touch with. But um growing up, I actually really bonded with my school nurse all the way through, you know, my elementary school nurse was the bomb, you know, I was, I actually have a really funny, I I take that back. I have a really funny story about my school nurse when I was in elementary school, but my elementary school nurse was awesome. My middle school nurse was awesome. And after middle school, I kind of fell off and it started being more about going to camp and kind of releasing frustrations and communicating and talking with people about diabetes. Oh God, this is an old story. I feel really old. But so when I was in elementary school, and this is when I got the Cosmo pump. I need to find a picture of it somewhere and I'll send it to you. Put it on the screen right here or something. But I got this Cosmo pump and I was super excited about it. And the school nurse, the school nurse, you know, she had never really dealt with diabetics before me. And so, you know, I, when I went to school or when I went to lunch in elementary school, I had basically like a little scorecard almost of everything that I was going to eat and like, how many carbs each each thing was. And because I was so young, I had to go to the school nurse to get myself insulin and, uh, you know, use the pump. And so the first day I showed her and uh, I was showing her all the buttons and like what it does. And I said, oh, here, I'll bolus for my meal now. And I hit the button and she goes, well, are, is that going to be okay? Because your lunch isn't for another hour. And I said, oh, no, it'll be fine. 
and my blood sugar was like one it was like in the low hundreds it was like 108 or something like that and i went back to my classroom and so i remember this day because it was grilled cheese and tomato soup day and i was wearing a long blue t-shirt or a long sleeve shirt bright blue and so i went back to class you know everything was fine i grabbed my little lunch you know i grabbed the my little lunch ticket went up and handed it to the cashier and they gave me my lunch and I was walking back to the table and I remember like I started like blinking and I was taking steps without realizing I was taking steps. I was like, well, this is weird. And I, one of my friends said, Tyler, and I looked across the lunchroom and I woke up in a different room and the fire department was there and I was like, whoa and i look at my arm my arm is like on fire because i just spilled all this scalding hot tomato soup all over my arm and it like completely ruined my shirt and i was upset about that and you know basically i was just like whoa what happened and the school nurse is like you bolused a little too soon tyler and i was like oh but it was cool though how i could bolus that soon though right <laughs> she ended up just rolling her eyes and she goes yeah we're gonna send you home for the day so you can kind of recover and i said oh cool you know and i saw the firefighters there and i was just like at the time i really wanted to be a firefighter so i was just like in like this bliss of just like oh that's so cool there's firefighters here i'm so happy like what how's your guys' day going so at what point did you go from i can bolus like an hour early for my food to actually taking ownership of your diabetes you know, shortly after that, I, it was kind of like a wake-up call. I got a lot better after that day. No, I would say probably probably in junior high and middle school is when I really started like, all right, you know, I need to take more control over this because my parents aren't communicating as much as they used to. You know, with more age comes more responsibility kind of a thing. And so that's kind of when I started taking more ownership of it and just kind of doing my own thing with it. If you could go back and tell your younger self like anything to help him get through the early years with the divorce, what would you tell him? I guess the first thing I would say is don't bowl an hour before you eat. But it would just it would just be more like, hey, you know, you need to start doing more on your own and start, you know, find a system that works. You know, is don't rely on your mom's or your dad's system. Rely on your own system and take more control over it, you know. If you know what's better for you, don't don't let your mom and dad do what you think is what they think is better for you. If you have the more information, if you make a decision, you need to rely on your own decisions, not other people's decisions, because in the long term, it's going to be your health. It's your body. It's you know, it's your life. And making those decisions early is going to help you a lot more in the long run. So how is the experience with your parents being divorced affected your decisions and your plans for your future. Diabetes related, it's it's really focused a lot more of making sure you just take the extra steps and protect, you know, do everything. If I were to ever have a kid and if that kid ended up developing diabetes or getting diabetes at some point, it would be a lot more of, all right, th these are the mistakes that my parents made and this is the mistakes I won't repeat with my kid. That's the main concern going into it. I'm very fortunate enough to where I probably will never get divorced because my fiance is very loving and very caring and she puts up with all my stupid crap that I, I give her. Shout out to Katie. We love you. Yeah. Shout out to Katie. She's, she is the best. But, um, 
that would be my main concern is if I ever had a kid and they develop diabetes or they get diabetes or something like that, you know, it would be not having the proper communication, but having my parent, you know, having go through it myself is the communication would be the most important part. And I know where my parents fell short and where I can surpass them. So when your parents divorced, what did your blood sugars kind of look like? How old were you when your parents divorced? If you don't mind me asking. No, that's fine. It's all fun and games now. So my parents were actually divorced before I got diagnosed. My parents divorced when I was four and then I got diagnosed at seven. Oh, okay, cool. So this question might not make any sense then. And that because I was, so my parents got divorced like two years after I was diagnosed. Yeah. So some of these like questions may not make sense at this point, but I'm still going to ask them. So I guess when your parents, you know, had to like go through you having diabetes and if there was like ever bad times with that or, what did your blood sugars kind of look like? For for example, my parent when my parents fought when they were married, my blood sugars would go like really high, like during like those arguments or like discussions about either us kids or like them getting divorced. So did you have any kind of like experiences like that? Yeah. So a lot of times, like I said, my parents my parents' divorce was very messy growing up is there was a lot of instances where it caused a lot of stress on me and my sister. And so in that time period, yeah, we would notice that my blood sugars would go up, especially like if my parents were going to court hearings, trying to figure stuff out. It wasn't once it's not their fault, but it was one of those things where my diabetes care was more placed on me than it, I was used to. And a lot of times that kind of side shifted what my numbers would look like. You know, it might be, and it wouldn't be a huge difference. It would be like a 40 point difference. But, you know, I would go from being in like 120s to maybe like 160s or 180s. And in really extreme cases, when I was really stressed out because of it, it was in the low 200s and stuff. That makes sense. I, it's just always interesting to ask because I don't have friends whose parents are divorced or who my friends also have diabetes and their parents yeah. are divorced. So this is like, it's kind of cool for me to ask questions about this stuff because it's, it's relatable. Like, yeah. It really is. Yeah. Just that parent complex just puts a whole new spin on the whole situation. It really like, does. Like a lot of people don't realize it. Like they think, oh, you just have diabetes. But with your parents being divorced, there's a totally like different and like independency aspect to it. Yeah. You know, I can only imagine that having a kid with diabetes, especially one that's like a little rebel like me who didn't really want to listen, was already hard. And then not, not have, you know, having a divorce set of parents on top of that, where each parent's trying to handle it on, on their own and in their own way. That must have been an absolute nightmare, especially with me growing up because I was this little rebellious child and stuff. And like, God bless my mom's heart and my dad's heart. Like it must have taken a lot out of them to try to deal with me growing up with diabetes. Yeah. Makes sense. Same with my parents, by the way. Anyways. So I know some kids like in the diabetic community whose parents are also divorced do kind of have like a blame placed on themselves for like their parents getting divorced. So like my parents got divorced after I was diagnosed. I never blame myself or anything like that or like having the diabetes for like a reason for them getting divorced. Do you have any of like advice to kind of change their thinking on like that kind of sense of blame 
almost. I mean, the main advice is, is it's not your fault. It'll never be your fault. There will be times where it's stressful. There will be times where it's easygoing and smooth sailing. But at the end of the day, it's not your fault. If your parents are going to split, it's because of their own separate reasons, not because of the diabetes. The diabetes is something that, yeah, it can be difficult to deal with, but it's nothing that isn't workable. I agree. And then with your parent, you being on both of your parents' insurances, did your diabetes equipment go to one of your parents' houses, both of them? And then how did you like split that up between like going to your dad's house or going to your mom's house? So the way that I understood that the court paperwork worked is all the supplies either was regulated or was given to my mother. So it was always shipped to my mom's house. And then my mom would basically send me over to my dad's house with a certain amount of supplies. So I would go from house to house with a little baggie. So like if I was going to be over there for three days, I would have three infusion sets and I would have a single bottle of insulin and two backup needles and, you know, two sets of test, you know, two set or two containers of 25 of test strips and stuff. But that was strictly it. It was strictly my mom monitored all the supplies for my diabetes. And then as time kind of got goes on and stuff, my dad would kind of keep us, you know, like if I didn't use all three infusion sets in a nine day period or whatever, like I was going home in like six days and there's an extra infusion set there. He would keep an infusion set over so that he would kind of have a backup reserve. What were some of your coping mechanisms growing up, like dealing with the, all the stress? <laughs> so I'll be the first to admit I did not cope very well in my later years. So I, when I turned 16 is I started getting into like adrenaline highs and stuff. And so I would, I would go out street racing and I like a 74 super people. So it wasn't very fast. I would be going like 45 and a 30. I'd be like, whoa, you know, like fast and furious style, like all the way back in the seat. And then when I turned 18 between finals, bad relationships and diabetes, I turned to smoking cigars for a little bit and that wasn't very healthy. And when I turned 21, that was a whole nother mess of just bad choices of coping with diabetes. Now it's just meditating is my main thing. And just taking time, just set time apart in the day, just be like, all right, you know, this is kind of like my Zen place or whatever, or just like not just a form of meditating, you know, whether it be doing something out in the garage where I'm just listening to music and kind of relaxing, or it's, you know, actually sitting under a tree and meditating somewhere. It's like, an important way for me to cope is just kind of relax because it's so easy to build up all this stress, especially with diabetes. Like you, you're having a day where your blood sugar is high and then it's dropping low. Like your body doesn't feel good and you get really stressed out about the whole situation. You're just like, this is too much. Like just taking that time and just, it's all right. It's a day, you know, it's, it happens. Every, every dog has its day. Just relax. I love that you went through like the bad coping mechanisms first to figure out what actually works for you and realize, like have that self-awareness that those were bad choices. And now you're in a place where you can actually take care of yourself in a way that works. Well, and you know, the lucky part about that is going to the Panther day camp and stuff. 
is being surrounded by a lot of doctors and a lot of nurse nurses. I remember one time I was having a really rough week and I don't remember what from, but I think it was like relationship issues and diabetes issues and stuff. And one of the doctors, I think it was actually Wendy caught me smoking a cigarette and I could just oh, imagine Wendy going after you for that. Oh my God. I got the fear of God putting me that day. And you know, m- my parents knew that I had smoked. Like that wasn't a big issue. I was, I was of age and stuff and it wasn't that big of a deal. But Wendy put the fear of God in me. You know, it was like she, I remember cause I had, I had a shirt with a pocket in it and she grabbed the, box out of the pocket and threw it in the river and she goes what are you doing and ripped the cigarette out of my mouth and threw it on the ground and stomped on it and she goes that is absolutely the worst thing you could do as a diabetic and what do you think you're doing and i was just like whoa and so that was that was a really big wake-up call is you know like get your crap together you know for our listeners wendy beber uh she recently passed away she was one of the best counselors one of the best nurses at panther camp she would she would basically be the surrogate mom for whoever needed her to be so wendy i think this episode is kind of for you no i mean if we could be half the people that wendy was like that's my goal in life like wendy was the most kind soul to me and like really helped me out in a lot of tough spots and you know she was like a surrogate mom to me you know she actually was the one who taught me how to use my first insulin pump. And I can still remember that. And it was just, she was an amazing person anyways. So did you ever have like difficulty conveying the importance of having like to your parents, having both of them there for certain events in your life? So like with me moving to college, there is like a kind of a discussion that I had like had to have with both of my parents of like, I need you here for the next, these five certain events in my life. Like one of them is my wedding. I, that will not happen for a very long time, but like one of them is for my wedding. One of them was for my high school graduation, moving into like the dorm rooms, which is going to be in the next couple of weeks. And that was kind of like a big, like, do we really want to do this together for like, for you? Do we really want to do that? Like that was kind of like a back and forth that we had. So did you ever have like, difficulty conveying like those events were important to you and like you needed them both there for that. So unfortunately, again, it was, it was a really, really messy divorce. And so like me actually moving to college, I remember this specifically is I loaded up my car at the time. I think it was like a 2003 Mitsubishi Lancer or something like that. I packed my car full of everything and my dad drove out to Eastern Washington with me. And basically he didn't even help me to stay to unpack my stuff is I drove past my college, dropped them off in uh, the airport and then drove back to my dorm. And my mom helped me unload all my stuff because they were just, they did not want to be in the same room as each other. That being said, being engaged and all that fun stuff, I know both my parents are going to be there and they're going to be nice, you know, play nice kind of a thing after like 24 years or something like that. It's kind of finally settled down to the point where it's not an issue anymore. But yeah, there, there's definitely issues where it was like, 
I really want both my parents to be here for this. And a lot of times they just could not compromise enough to be in that same room. And, you know, it's not their fault. It's just, you know, the way things played out. Do you have any of like advice? I'm sorry. Cause I, um, I am trying my best here and it is just, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Yeah. It's, I mean, the advice I would always say is, you know, just try and, you yeah. know, you should always you know, like, Hey, you know, I understand. And I, I think I said this, to, I think my, um, both my parents is when my sister got married and that was a big thing. Cause they're both him and hawing about it. I said, you know, like, we're not going to be able to buy back time and recreate this moment. And it's important to me and it's important to my sister that you're here. And you don't have to interact with each other. Just be there. Yeah. That you know, makes sense. And, you know, it, if you're trying to talk to your parents and one of them isn't budging, like, understand, it's not your fault. It's not, it's not the kid's fault. It's not the other parent's fault. It's just sometimes decisions are made with the best intent but the poorest execution yeah cool thank you sorry i just no, don't have anybody else to ask about this stuff. <laughs> no i mean they're really good questions like the, the this is stuff i wish i would have known growing up yeah and i don't have any animosity about like my parents doing divorce like i i'm honestly i'm glad they're not married anymore yeah well and I same exact boat is, you know, like I said, sometimes the best is the best intentions are made with poor executions is really like a solid phrase to get behind because like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good that happened in my parents' relationship. There's a lot of bad that came out of my parents' relationship, but in the end it worked out for both of them and they're both happy now. So, and that's, that's the important part. Oh yeah. I, I completely agree on that. Like, I, I'm glad that they're happy separated. So what advice do you have for the young diabetics out there? It's going to get better as time goes on. Everything will be easier. I can tell you from the age of 7 to 26, my diabetes has only gotten easier to manage. And, you know, especially with the technology gains and leaps, hopefully within our lifetimes, there's going to be a full cure to diabetes. And if there isn't, then it's going to be super easy to take care of. The foundations you set for when you're a kid is only going to help you build for your future. So, you know, good practices like testing blood every day, you know, making sure you bolus on time, making sure that you write, you know, not write everything down because I guess I'm old school now, but, you know, tracking everything and making sure that everything works well together is only going to make it easier for when you move out of your parents' house and you go to college and you start dating. Dating and diabetes is a whole nother problem is what I've realized. And there's a lot that I wish I would have communicated to my significant other. There's a lot that I wish I hadn't, you know, and it's dating, get your stuff straight now. Then when you start moving out and you start dating and you go to college and you make all the bad mistakes, you can go back to those foundations and make good decisions from them. So, what projects are you working on that you're actually really excited about? Um, in my personal life or in my diabetic life? Either or whatever you want to talk about that you're kind of looking forward to and like working towards. I'm actually really excited to go back to diabetes camp this summer. There's a lot of challenges that are going to be presented, especially with Wendy no longer being around. 
Um, but I'm excited to go back to camp. I really am. It missing it this summer was kind of heartbreaking or this last summer was heartbreaking for me because I was sitting there and I was just like, you know, I always take the same time off each, each year to prepare for camp and to do camp and all that fun stuff. And like, I understand that as we grew up and stuff, camp was like, Oh, so-and-so couldn't make it this year. And then they just started falling out of doing camp because they got so relaxed that one year. And like, for me, it was kind of different because not doing the camp, I was just like, Oh God, like I have nothing to do this week. Like I have nothing to look forward to, you know, teaching, having the experience with younger diabetics and kind of helping them understand like, Hey, this isn't something that is going to be hard. It's, it's something that's normal. It's something you can deal with is like, one of the best coping mechanisms for diabetes is like, Hey, you know, like I made it 19 years with diabetes. You should have no problem making it the rest of your life with diabetes. If that's the case, like if I can do it, you can do it and kind of helping the younger generation go forward. And hopefully they can, you know, make a serious impact on someone else's life. And literally if Tyler can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Like, the bar I've is heard set way low. more stories than he's told on this podcast, and he blows my mind every every single time I hear a story. <laughs> yeah, like the bar is set so low with me that if I can take good care of my myself with diabetes, you will nail it out of the park. Like there's no excuse. But other than that, just like car things. What car are you working on right now? I made the decision of buying an old Mazda rotary, and so last time. I got it started. It kind of caught the back of the car on fire. And so, yeah, getting that running will be nice. Maybe my fiance won't be so upset because I bought the car without telling her until like four months later. And it wasn't like, hey, I bought a car. I was like, hey, so um, I love you. And I bought two cars and I'm making one car. And, you know, it was like, why? Well, the cars were cool and I wanted to work on them but you have six other project cards. Yeah, well, these ones are different. You never cease to make me laugh, Tyler. Ah, well, you know, I'm here to help. <laughs> if people are interested in following you on social media or getting in touch, how can they how can they interact with you? I think I have an Instagram account and it's Tyler the Welding Guy is I believe the name. And I'll give you a link for that. But you can kind of see my daily shenanigans and stuff through that. Especially if you're interested in the car car building part. Yeah, I do a lot of car car working and I do a lot of boat building. There's a lot of funny pictures of me in funny situations welding. You know, that sort of thing. All right. Well, we will link that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's, it's As always, it is just so fun to talk to you. Of course. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and I hope I get to come on again. All right, you guys. So thank you so much to Tyler for coming on. But our question for you guys this week is, have you ever heard of the Cosmo pump? Because I certainly have not until this point. Kind of embarrassing, but I did look up a picture of it. And apparently I actually had a diabetic doll that had like this kind of pump attached to it. And I didn't know that until I saw this picture. So... Do your research and don't be like me in this case. <laughs> and we will put a picture of that pump in the show notes. Uh, so I had heard of the Cosmo pump before, but 
it had been kind of just like in passing this existed at one point. I didn't actually know like what it looked like, how old it was. And it's kind of interesting that Tyler was on this one for four years because I got my first pump in 2002, which was before he was diagnosed. And I was on Medtronic like right away. So the fact that he was on the old ones, like the old, old, old ones. (laughs) Amazing. Wow. All right. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Tyler for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find him on Instagram at Tyler the Welding Guy, and we will link to that in the show notes. And you can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 105. That's the number 105. You can apply to be a guest by visiting thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. And if you want a hit of focused inspiration in your inbox every Wednesday, please sign up for my email list at inspiredforward.com. I'm on all social media and Clubhouse as at inspiredforward. I'm on the diabetes app as at Colleen Mitchell. And our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And our podcast Instagram, look at us go, is at this is type one pod. That is the number one. And this is where you guys can reach out to us super easily. It takes five minutes to send a DM and, you know, say hi, respond to our podcast questions. This is super easy to do. We would love to hear from you guys. And we will always ask before we put anything actually out there on the internet. So we just want to hear from you guys and say hi and all that super fun stuff. We would love to hear from you and understand your life with type 1 diabetes. My personal Instagram is at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. It's up to you. Not a big deal. If you do reach out on Instagram, please make sure you let me know you're a listener of the show. I would love to hear from you all. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type 1 diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.